0: welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's Church. On today's Christians of History episode, the impeccable, infallible, and totally awesome bro Jens Nelson is going to tell us about Senor Goose, I think is how you say his name. Sir Goose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're,
1: we're talking about, uh, we're going to say John Huss. Um, that's the, I think, I forget how you say the word, Anglicized. It's the way that you would say that in, Ang, in English. Um, he was a man who was born in 1372-ish. Um, there, I saw some different dates. I think I saw like 1369. There's some confusion about his actual birth date. Um, but he was born in Hussenic Bohemia, which is in um, what we call the Czech Republic today. So, you know, he's Czech. He, you know, obviously isn't going to be speaking English. So we're going to say John Huss, but it's probably more like Jan Hus or, or something like that. But to avoid butchering it, um, many people do call him John Huss. Um, so he was born, like I said, 1372-ish to uh, poor parents. And so in order to escape poverty, uh, Huss trained for the priesthood. Which seems kind of interesting when I when I think about that now. But that's that's what I read in numerous accounts. And at an early at an early age, he he traveled to Prague, uh, where he supported himself by singing and serving in churches. Sounds like you know a struggling musician making his way in the streets of Nashville. You know, singing and and serving. Um, but uh, his <laughs> his conduct was positive, and reportedly his commitment to his studies was remarkable. So he was a great student, great great dude you know, living it up in the 1370s. Um, And uh, after earning a Bachelor of Arts degree and being ordained as a priest, Huss began to preach in Prague. And so he he opposed many aspects of the Catholic Church in Bohemia, such as their views uh, on ecclesiology. So that's sort of like views of the church, uh, the Eucharist, Lord's Supper, and some other, you know, big theological topics. And it's helpful to know, you know, we sort of hinted at, you know, his... The time that he was born, being the 1370s, uh, living in the height of, you know, Roman Catholicism. There, there hadn't, there had not yet been a Protestant Reformation. Um, but actually, in, in many ways, Huss is sort of a precursor to that Reformation. And it's it's sort of Huss and John Wycliffe. Um, uh, his writings actually stirred an interest for Huss um, in the Bible, and these same writings were actually causing a big stir in Bohemia. So the University of Prague was sort of already split between Czechs and Germans and uh, Wycliffe's teachings only divided them further. Uh, early debates hinged on fine points of philosophy. And so like the, the Czechs along with Wycliffe were realists, whereas the, the Germans were nominalists. Um, but the Czechs with Huss uh, also warmed up to Wycliffe's reforming ideas. So again, think of, think of you know, Roman Catholicism pre-Reformation. These are sort of like the early births of, of reforming ideas of these men wanting to sort of change and see some reform, you know, for lack of a better term, come to the, the Catholic church. Um, even though they had no intention of altering traditional doctrines at this point, they, they wanted to place more emphasis on the Bible and expand the authority of church councils and lessen the authority of the Pope and promote the uh, the moral reform of clergy. So if you try, again, maybe you don't know much about the the Roman Catholic Church and what was going on in you know Prague in Germany in these places in the 1300s, um, but the Pope had a lot of power, um, clergy had a lot of power. Um, there was a lot of abuses, a lot of just mistreatment happening, and so one, this is sort of where reform began, was with some of those things. Um, so Huss began to increasingly trust the scriptures and he quote says uh desiring to hold believe and assert whatever is contained in them as long as i have breath in me so over and against popes and you know papal infallibility as we covered in a previous episode uh john huss was wanting to trust the scriptures over and against these these popes and councils even though those things can have some sense of authority um, so the, the situation was complicated by European politics. Maybe something, again, many of our listeners might not be familiar with. If you've, if you've ever heard of the Great Schism, uh, there was basically this, these, these two popes vied for rule of all of Christendom. Um, a church council was called at Pisa in 1409 to settle the matter. It actually ousted both of the popes and it elected Alexander V, is it V5? Alexander V as the legitimate pontiff, even though the other popes, even though the other popes, um, sort of went against this election and continued to function in their uh, in their roles in smaller factions. Um, but Alexander was soon persuaded, uh, more like bribed, to to side with the Bohemian Church authorities against Huss, who continued to criticize them. Uh, Hus was forbidden to preach; he was excommunicated. Uh, but really only on paper at this point because local Bohemian authorities were sort of backing him. And so Huss was able to continue to preach and minister at Bethlehem Chapel, where he was sort of, you know, residing as priest over that uh, that congregation. But when Alexander V's success- successor, John the XXIII, um, authorized the selling of indulgences to raise funds for his crusade against one of his rivals, Huss was scandalized and further radicalized. So the Pope was basically acting in self-interest and Huss could no longer justify the Pope's moral authority. He leaned pretty heavily, um, you know, even more heavily on the Bible, which he proclaimed to be the final authority of the church again, sort of over and against the Pope. Um, So Huss further argued that the Czech people were being exploited by the pope's indulgence indulgences which was a not so veiled attack on the bohemian king who actually earned a cut of the indulgence um, proceeds but uh, it's basically with that this this opposition that hus lost his support of the king so his communi- his excommunication which had actually been job- had been dropped was now revived and a prohibition was put upon the city of prague basically no citizen could receive communion or even be buried on church grounds as long as hus continued in his ministry so imagine like the pope just handing down this decree to this church saying you know what as long as hus is in that pulpit if he's going to continue um, you know being in opposition to us you're not going to take communion and you cannot be buried at the church um, which That's were two so pretty big wild. deals right this was this is a pretty fathom yeah <laughs> it's it's crazy to like try to picture this in a modern context to see any of this happen So to spare the city, you know, very lovingly, Huss withdrew to the countryside toward the end of 1412, and he spent the next two years feverishly writing. So he was attending to his literary activity. He composed a number of treatises. He wrote a lot of letters, uh, many of which you can probably find online and read today. Um, But in these treatises, he argued that Christ alone is the head of the church and that the pope through ignorance and the love of money can make many mistakes and that to rebel against an erring pope is to actually obey christ um so like again this is pre-reformation this is before the days of you know luther and zwingli and calvin and so for someone like huss to be saying this that like christ alone is the head of the church if you've listened if you listened to our episode on the pope you know we talked about how the pope is the head of the church um he holds the keys to the church um but here Huss is saying it's Christ alone, not the Pope. The Pope has ignorance, he has a love of money and to rebel against him, you know is to obey Christ, especially if he's an erring Pope. And so in November of 1414, the Council of Constance assembled and Huss uh, was urged by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund, Sigismund, uh, to come and give an account of his doctrine. Uh, Because he was promised safe conduct and because of the importance of the council, um, which basically promised significant church reforms, Huss went. So Huss was kind of like duped into going to this thing. Um, But when he arrived, he was immediately arrested. So he was promised safe travel, safe, fair treatment. He was, you know, he was told that this was going to be a place where significant change was going to go down. Instead, he shows up and is (laughs) put in shackles and he remained imprisoned for months. Um, And instead of a hearing, Huss was eventually hauled before authorities in chains and asked merely to recant his views. So there was no trial, no hearing. It was just, you're going to come chained before us and you're going to recant what you believe. And so when he saw that he wasn't going to be given a forum for explaining his ideas, let alone a fair hearing, he finally said, I appeal to Jesus Christ, the only judge who is almighty and completely just. In his hands, I plead my cause, not on the basis of false witnesses and erring counsels, but on truth and on justice, uh, end quote. Um, So he was taken to his cell where many um, pleaded with him to recant. Many were saying like, dude, just, you know, you don't have to necessarily believe what they believe, but like, just say you don't, uh, you know, maybe it'll go better for you. But on July 6th, 1514, he was taken to the cathedral, dressed in his priestly garments, and then stripped of them one by one. He refused one last chance to recant at the stake. Um, and here at the stake, he prayed, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies, end quote. He was heard reciting the Psalms as the flames engulfed him. So this is, you know, a very short, brief sketch wow. of the life of, you know, a man that lived quite a long time ago. But as as I alluded to a couple times, really a forebearer, uh, to the protestant reformation him and Wycliffe their their legacies like both after they died sort of carried on in their followers and mm. those followers then began to gain you know traction and it ultimately culminated in a a actual reformation which right. we in some ways are are heirs of today um, you know L- luther even refers to huss in a number of his um number of his writings you know it's it's interesting that um you know i, we for, I, for, I forgot to mention this but john huss um, Huss is comes from the place where he was born, which was um, Hussonic, and that Huss means goose. So like, there there's even like I read an account of of, of John Huss's life where like him and his friends like basically called him the goose. Like obviously not in English, but like he was sort of referred the to goose. as like the
0: Huss. That was like his nickname with his <laughs> buds. You know, I I don't know. I've heard this. I heard this the other day, but I don't know the source of it. But I think that Huss actually like at some point he he I don't know predicted prophesied I don't know how we, what we want to call it that I've, I've someone heard this. would that someone would come 100 years after him um, I, I and, think know, I've I mean, heard he you know he he died on in 1415 so you know 1517 is Martin Luther almost exactly 100 years which is yeah. and and, so, and I think that Luther he knew of the, of this you know like I said, prophecy or prediction or statement—you know, whatever we want to call it—I um, I think the story goes that that Luther knew about what Huss had said, and he viewed that as a prophecy of about himself in his own work. Which is, I mean, theologically, I, you know, I, I'm sure that's a long conversation, but like, just it's so fascinating to see to to you know see those connections um, and to really think about whether or not you know it was prophesied or whatever like Huss really is a, a forerunner of um, the work that that would would happen you know a hundred years after his death right um, and and thereafter with with the Reformation it's it's really quite amazing to yeah see, I, I don't know, to I don't exactly where he was
1: right and I, I to, to add to what you're saying there I I don't know exactly the source of that either I have seen it and I've heard it. Um, Even as you were speaking right there, I was trying to find it and I see this quote kind of that, you know, a cooked goose predicts an uncookable swan Um, I don't I think that's that is sort of like paraphrasing some of what was said in that original quote Mm -hmm. You know, he's saying you're imagine him like being burned at the stake or whatever You know, this cooked goose is going to produce this uncookable swan. So even if you kill me here at the stake um, What I stand for what I believe in you're not killing that and that's going yeah. to go into the future, which, as we now know, happened, and, and reform yeah. came, and um, actually changed the world, <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that was real. sort of a b- very brief sketch of this man who, you know, I'm just, I was fascinated. Everything I read about him, and especially, like, the context in which he was living, right. um, a lot of, like, even the modern Czech language, like, a lot of, he's almost, like, immortalized in Czech culture, mm. I believe, even if you're not a Christian, like John Huss is kind of like a, a big Makes deal. Sense, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not surprised. I mean, he clearly was a big deal, right? <laughs> so the big, goose. Awesome. the big goose. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to investigate and, and share that. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of, um, our Christians of history series on the doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Doxology Podcast or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for Christians of history you'd like us to um, cover in the future. You can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, where you get weekly updates on upcoming episodes, any news or developments or happenings in the world of the Doxology Podcast. You can check out uh, logos.com slash doxologypodcast for more information on Logos Bible Software, our wonderful sponsor. And um, yeah, and you know, go read more about Jan Hus. John Hus, he's quite a figure. Um, yeah. So yeah, until next time. See you, peace.